Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. If you are a builder, remodeler, or contractor, this is your go-to resource for business growth strategies, as well as marketing and sales tactics. On this show, you'll hear from industry leaders, construction professionals in the trenches, and from our team of digital marketing experts here at Builder Funnel. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 51 with Darnielle Harmon. And in this episode, we talk about the pillars of business optimization. So we dive into mindset, marketing and messaging. We talk about talent optimization, and then we close up with legacy. Uh, It's a fast-paced interview. There's tons of nuggets that you can take away and put into action. So I think you'll really get a lot out of this episode. Sit back and relax and enjoy 51 with Darnielle Harmon. Hey, Darnielle, glad to have you on the show today. Thank you, Spencer. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited because uh, this show, I think, will be a little bit different. We typically have people that are coming from in the construction space, and I think it's really important to get some outside fresh ideas, kind of fresh take from time to time. So should be fun, um, but I kind of want to give a chance to, to introduce you to our audience, so maybe you could just kind of talk about your first business experience and, and kind of how that went in the story there. <laughs> okay. So uh, before I was an entrepreneur, I worked in corporate America. I was there for 12 years and I went from customer service to 17 entry level to vice president in about three years. And so I ran a few Dang. different departments, business development, uh, customer service and billing inquiries. I was in a financial services company. So that was like, my entree into the business world. And I was hooked. I didn't think I was an entrepreneur, um, but I really did love learning business. And that's a lot of what I do today in my business is, is um, help people to understand all of the numbers and, and what the numbers mean and create their key performance indicators and create the systems that keep the engine running. And I know personally, had I not spent the first part of my career in corporate America, it would probably impact the way I get to show up today as a business coach and consultant. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. And I think, yeah, sometimes, you know, it helps to have that formalized, like corporate America business background, you know, because then you, I don't know, you learn some of the nuts and bolts, the basics. And so, uh, you know, where did you go from there, you know, as you maybe transition from being in the business world, but then being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't know if you can call me an entrepreneur for my (laughs) entrepreneurship. So I I worked in corporate, like I said, for 12 years, I got the itch one day and realized that I really wasn't meant to sit behind someone else's desk. And so I quit my job without a plan. (laughs) Don't try this at home. Yeah. But (laughs) what I did in the meantime is I started a Mary Kay cosmetics business. And so, yeah, I was peddling lipstick. Sure. (laughs) A little bit more than peddling lipstick, but, um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me at that particular time in my life without going into all of the gory details, unless Spencer wants me to share them with you. I had, I was engaged to be married the first time and my ex fiance and I had just broken up. And so the bottom literally fell out of my life. And one of my good girlfriends introduced me to Mary Kate cosmetics to make me feel better about myself. And I love the product so much that I started selling it. And I was really good at it. And so I ended up becoming a sales director. And then once I decided to quit my job and went full-time in Mary Kay, I was 
actually picking up a pink Cadillac in about five months. <laughs> that was pretty successful. Um, as it goes, you know, I think this, the story they tell is that only 2% of their sales force ever earns the pink Cadillac. So in the state of Delaware, I was a pretty big deal. I was the youngest woman at the time driving a Cadillac and, um, it was kind of fun, but it was, it was just a stopover. Like it wasn't what I was supposed to do with my life, but it was because of Mary Kay that I realized that I wanted to start my own coaching and consulting company. And so, um, when did I send my car back? I sent my car back in 2008. So 11 years ago, I sent my car back to Mary Kay. Cause no, you don't get to keep the car. Once yeah, I was kind of curious about that. They just kind of <laughs> yeah. like let you borrow it for a while. And- yeah, it's exactly. It's a lease. And so you have to meet the qualifications to keep it. But once you decide you're not selling the product anymore, you have to send the car back. And so I sent the car back and I started Incredible One Enterprises, which is the company I run today. And it has had many uh, amorphoses um, over the years. But today, you know, we are a business consulting company. Very cool. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious too, you know, what do you think were one or two of the things that you learned during your time with Mary Kay that really translates over into things that you apply now? And, you know, cause sure, a lot of it's sales, right. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, what are, what are a couple of those things that you pulled out of that experience that stuck? Yeah. So I would definitely say sales, but I would say sales through the lens of service. Mm. And so what I find today, it, because I work with so many entrepreneurs and small business owners, no one wants to be the used car sales guy, right? Absolutely. Everybody wants to make money and they want people to enroll in their programs or their, buy their services, but they don't want to feel like they're a salesperson. Well, through Mary Kay, I learned the, probably the most powerful thing I would ever share with anybody about sales. And that is this, it is as honorable to sell as it is to buy. And, and learning that Spencer, for me, it kind of took the pressure off. The only way a sale can happen is if there's two sides of the transaction. And if I do my job right and show them why they need, in that case, this lipstick or this skincare, and then they decide to purchase it, it's an honorable transaction. There's nothing wrong with that. And so being able to bring that into full-blown entrepreneurship is one of the reasons why I didn't struggle with sales from the early days. So I would say that's the first thing. And then the second thing is the importance of the systems. The reason why I was so successful so quickly in Mary Kay is because they had a system that was working and I just worked it. I did exactly (laughs) what they said to do and it worked. And so that's one of the things I help my clients with today. Like how can we create a system so we can make success predictable in your business so that you take the guesswork out of it and you're working really, really smart. Those are probably the two biggest things I took away. Yeah, that's awesome. And I like what you said about the sales part of it too, because I think, you know, if you really believe in what you're selling or that what you're selling is going to get that person to that end result they're looking for, like you you do have, you know, you think you said it's honorable, but you almost have an obligation to do that mm-hmm. because you know it's going to help them get to whatever that end result is. In this case, in our industry, you know, it could be a new kitchen or, you know, right. but in your case, it was, you know, new lipstick or feeling right. better about yourself <laughs> or whatever it is, but that's still the end result is something that right. person wants. And so I think you make a good point. And then obviously systems is critical. That's how companies like McDonald's scale and, you know, they just nail down their, their systems. And um, you kind of talk about these different pillars of like mm-hmm. business optimization. So I think that would be pretty interesting for us to kind of dive into, I guess, what are the pillars and kind of how do they, you know, go together and maybe just kind of outline the framework for us? 
Yeah. So because I've been working in and around small business and my clients have been across every industry, as long as they're service-based, I've probably worked with them. I have worked okay. with a couple of remodelers, an HVAC company. Like, so anyway, um, so at, in working with all of these business, I started to realize that if you really want growth that is unprecedented, that is consistent, you have to have processes, I'm trying to use another word other than systems, right? You need to have processes in place in specific areas and you need to maximize those processes in order to see the return that you want. And so as a result of that, that's kind of how the pillars came to be. So there are seven. Mindset is the first one. That's how you win the inner game, right? Like Mm -hmm. none of us are ever going to accomplish anything if we don't believe that we can do it, right? And many of us We have our own money backstory based on the way we were raised and that impacts how we charge and how we show up in our businesses. So we've got to do that inner work in order to get the outward results. The second pillar is brand messaging. So messaging is how you get known. If you want to be known for building decks or renovating kitchens or, you know, building houses from the ground up, you have to literally clarify a message that is going to immediately connect with the the client that you want to serve. And then you have to beat your drum for that message over and over and over again. The third pillar is marketing. Marketing is how we get found. So because of the internet, we're now in a time and space where we don't have to go knocking door to door to get business. Although in your, in this industry, that still happens a lot. And it can be very effective when you're already working in a community to go and knock on doors and let all the neighbors know that you're there and offer them some type of incentive. But you don't have to do that anymore because of the time we live in. So you can get found by your customers, especially if you're utilizing online marketing strategies through leveraging this really powerful message and getting found consistently. The fourth pillar is sales. Nothing happens until somebody sells something. So you've got to learn how to get paid and paid well for the service that you render. I always say charge more than it costs. That is the only way to get to profitability. And so within that sales pillar, we cover financial management. We we cover um, every continuum on the sales process. So everything about sales is kind of rolled up into sales. Then we have general operations, which is actually building out the systems that you need in your business um, and creating them in such a way that it allows you to, to take advantage of the next pillar, which is talent optimization, building out the team of people who are going to expand your brand and help you to do what you do with the competitive advantage. Anyone who's been in business and has employees that has also has competitors, that's everyone, knows that your only competitive advantage are the people that you have, right? And so we've got to optimize and develop our talent, make them the strongest, the best, the fastest, the ones that provide the best quality so that we can continue to get that competitive edge. The sixth um, pillar, or maybe I'm at the seventh, I think I'm at the seventh pillar by now, and that's leadership and legacy. So when it's all said and done, right, we can't do anything just for the money. How are we going to shake the planet? How are we impacting the world because of our work, because of our business, because of our company? And how are we creating an environment for others to be able to continue that on long after we're gone? I don't know how often it happens in um, this industry, but I know where I do the majority of my work, people don't think about a succession plan. They don't have an exit strategy. They just think they're going to work until they die. But I know, especially in your industry, often, you know, like we're getting a deck built on our home. We had our home built a year and some change ago, and now we're building a deck. Well, the guy who's building our deck, his two sons work with him in in the company. So a big part of his succession plan is teaching his children how to be able to take over the business for the time when he's ready to retire. And so those are the seven pillars. 
Um, I love them. I think it makes it simple and it allows me to help my clients to really organize their business pillar by pillar and create that process in there that's going to make the success predictable and help them to get to the results that they want that will ultimately be sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And there's definitely a lot to unpack there. We won't be able to dive into every pillar, but uh, I actually want to start with the mindset pillar because I think a lot of people skip that or don't even think about it or don't realize how important that piece is. So I guess why is the mindset so important? You know, I don't know, even when considering all the other pillars, you know? Yeah, I think mindset is important because if you don't work on this, you'll never be able to get to that. So another way I like to say it is if you don't work on the six inches in between your ears, you'll never feel six figures in between your fingers. <laughs> sure. And I'm not talking about having a six figure business, right? I'm talking about having a multiple million dollar business and you being able to walk away with multiple six figures to live the best life that you could possibly live. And because most of us, all of us, um, we're subjects of the environments that we come from. That's good, bad, or indifferent, right? My environment, totally bad. <laughs> you know, you somebody else's environment who's listening might not have been so bad. Sure. But regardless of whether it's struggle or entitlement, all of that shows up in our mindset. Yeah. And all of that either uh, supports us or motivates us to take the actions we must take, or it prevents us from taking the action. So I have a really great client. She's a, a psychotherapist, so she's a doctor. And she was proverbially born with a silver spoon in her mouth. Everything was handed to her. She never experienced any lack or any struggle. And so as an entrepreneur, she has this sense of entitlement that because she's in business, people should just hire her. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah that'd no, be nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just the same as you have a person who, like, my backstory was, you know, I came into business and I was severely undercharging. It was so bad that I ended up having to file bankruptcy and look for a job because I didn't know what I didn't know about business and the importance of pricing. I thought I could literally just go to someone else's website, take their very same prices, make them my prices, and voila, the magic would happen. But what we don't realize when we do something like that is we have no idea what they were thinking, and we're not thinking like business owners. And so that was a mistake I made very early in my business that was because of mindset, because I came from a place of lack. I was born in the projects. My parents were drug addicts, and all I saw all around me all the time was lack. Money didn't grow on trees. Money was something only rich people had. And if you had money, then you were going to be an evil person. That's what I was taught. Yeah. And so that's what I believed. And so I came into this realm of adulthood, not even entrepreneurship, because I had issues way before I started my own business <laughs> with money. But I came into this realm of adulthood and all of that stuff was ruminating and it was threatening to derail my ability to be able to create a good living for myself. And so I had to start working on this. And, and that started through going through personal development, conferences and events, working with coaches, and even getting a therapist to figure out that what I know today that, you know, we can have whatever we want. Anything we desire can be ours if we're willing to do the work. And there really isn't anything that's keeping us from it except for ourselves. But when you come from a space where you have those struggles or adversity that you experienced in your younger years, you begin to think that you're a victim instead of realizing that you really are a victor. And, you know, every entrepreneur who's listening right now to build a front of radio, I hope you know that you literally have a printing press out back and you can print money whenever you want because you have a firm skill that people are willing to pay for a solution to. 
So, but it take it can take a while to get to that point if you've got all of that stuff ruminating and you're in the same environment. Um, and most people, unfortunately, I think it was Zig Ziglar or Jim Rohn who said it first, right? We become like the five people with whom we spend the majority of our time. Mm-hmm. And most of us don't realize that our, our family and our loved ones, they're holding us back. They're keeping us stuck and stagnant because they would rather um, experience us not having everything that they even know is possible for us. And many of us internalize that and it affects the way we show up day in and day out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's super powerful. And you mentioned a few things on like conferences or books or whatever, I guess, what would you tell somebody like as a first couple of steps to like, how do you start working on the mindset? I think that was a great explanation of like why it's so important because Mm -hmm. we all have our own baggage, our head trash. Right. We talk about this stuff in sales too. Like uh, it's all in your head. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of like self-diagnose and then go, okay, let me take some steps towards, you know, getting rid of some of that baggage? Yeah, I think the self-diagnosis comes when you realize there's something that you crave and you Mm -hmm. don't have it. (laughs) I think so. I think it's it's, it's as simple as that. Like, Mm -hmm. yo, something's not right here. Right. (laughs) And then once you have that awareness you kind of have to lean into the awareness, right? And consider the possibility that things could be different. I'm an avid reader. I believe that readers are leaders. I know that rhymes, but it's more than just <laughs> just a rhyme. It is the truth, right? Um, I believe in wa- watching, if I'm going to watch TV, watching positive programming. Like I've, I've never been watching TV, Spencer, where money popped out of the television <laughs> while I was watching the TV show. Never. You have it? Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. I don't know that it's going to happen. So I, I spend time really working on this because I know this has the ability to take me where I want to go. So something as simple as sitting down with a sheet of paper and asking yourself, what is it that you truly desire? And I want you guys to notice that I use the word desire and not want because want is a lack word. Want means that there's something missing, whereas desire allows us to, our, the energy that we are, we're energetic beings anyway, The word desire creates an energetic flow that allows us to vibrate higher and bring the things that we desire into our life experience. I'm not trying to get too woo-woo on you, but I think that's the first step is like, what do I want, right? I'm looking at my life, I'm looking around and I'm like, yeah, there's got to be more to life than this, right? If you've ever said that to yourself in any particular situation, the next thing I would want you to explore is what would life that is more than this look like? Would it be that there's, you know, more money than there is months, that you're driving a really nice car, that your kids are going to a good school, that, you know, what are the things that it would look like if there was more to life than this? Once you create that firm list of what it is that you want, what's invariably going to happen is you're now, you're now open to a new possibility and reality and success is going to begin to leave clues for you. So all of a sudden, just because you've expanded your mind, you're going to be exposed to new realities and you'll actually be open to continuing to explore them just by asking yourself that question. The other thing I would highly recommend and suggest is that you get some support from a coach. Get someone who can help you to work through the head trash. I love that. I've never called it that myself, but that's exactly (laughs) what it is. Get someone who can help you, who can come and empty the wastebasket for you and show you what you're seeing and tell you what's really available to you and then give you examples of what's possible. Because success leaves clues everywhere we look, once we know what to look for, we'll see examples of what it is that we desire instead of whatever our reality is. 
Yeah. And then it's just constantly being open and saying yes to the next thing that's presented to you. If you just keep saying yes, you will eventually get to whatever it is that you're needing to have what it is that you desire. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's really powerful. And I'll have to, uh, I like that you said um, leaders are readers because I've got that right above my desk. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's nice that it rhymes because then you can remember it. But right, exactly. that was one of the things that that helped me just you start reading and you just, you get exposed to all these new ideas. You go, oh, wow. I, like I wasn't raised learning these ideas, you know, right. whether you were raised in, like you said, a bad experience, good experience, it doesn't really matter. It just was your experience and that's right. your lens that you have for everything. So the more ideas you can get exposed to, um, the better off you are. And I like your step of like writing down your desires because then suddenly you go, okay, how could I make this happen? You know, and then, yeah. and then it b- turns into action steps. You go, okay, well I could do this and do this. And you just kind of put one foot in front of the other. So. Exactly. Uh, and, and I mean, the biggest thing, like you just said, when you're reading a book, exposure creates expansion. So just being exposed to a new thought is going to expand your mind to the possibilities. And as soon as you're open, they'll start flooding in. It's really kind of amazing how it happens. Yeah. And it, and you will, those of you who will try this, you'll literally be like, oh my gosh, it really is that easy because it literally is that easy. You're just getting in flow with the universe, with all of the abundance that's here right now that has been eluding you because you weren't open to the possibility of it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I feel like we could talk about mindset for probably all day, but but we should probably cover some other pillars. So I I know one of your passions is kind of the, the messaging and the marketing. So what gets you fired up about that pillar? You know, I've had a love affair with words since I was 10 years old. Wow. All right. I love them. I, I mean, I read like at one point in time, I haven't done it in a few years, but I used to read a book a week. So I'm reading 52 books a year. It was just, I love words. I got a perfect verbal SAT score. Wow. Um, that's, it's a fast that's impressive. Fact for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what I love about words is through using the right ones, putting the right ones together, we can get people to take the actions we most want from them to take. Like we can truly use words to change somebody's life, to open them up to the possibility of something different. What That's what reading does, right? It exposes us to new possibilities. And so when it comes to business, helping people hone in on the right words, like it's, it takes a lot. You've got not only the demographic information that everybody knows to think about when they're thinking about their ideal client, but you also have to consider the psychographic information, right? You know, what are their wants and their desires and their interests and what's going to be important to them? What's keeping them awake at night? And so being able to study your idle client to that level of specificity and then to create an exact message that gets their attention. Oh, that's my jam, Spencer. Oh, it just just gets me so excited. Like it really does. And I love playing the game with with my clients to help them to get to that level of specificity because most people don't do that. Right. Yeah. And I I have a lot of clients, like I was doing some work earlier with a client who's working on her message and she has this massive vocabulary and she talks at this level. (laughs) The cool thing about messaging for those of you who are listening and you don't have to read a lot of books like I've read, your messaging actually needs to be so clear and simple that a six-year-old can hear it and be able to recite back to you what they just heard. So yeah. that's like the other side of it is the first getting excited about what the message can be and then distilling it down into this simple sentence that even a six-year-old could understand and comprehend. And like, that is probably the hardest part, right? I mean, Yeah, that is definitely yeah. the hardest part. Um, it, it brings me the most joy because you see the light, you see the light come off of 
people are trying to use these big words and, you know, be all esoteric with whatever it is they want to do. And I'm like, yeah, no, no one's going to know what you mean. So they're certainly not going to take the action you want. Let's just keep it simple. And then we make it simple and they're like, oh, well, that's all it needed to be. Yeah. (laughs) But it opens up the door to so much. Like I remember it probably took me maybe four years to get my marketing message as good as it is today. But once we did it, it was literally like turning on a light switch. It has been on and popping ever since in my business. And so I tell people, you know, you're going to have iterations of it because it takes time to really understand who your ideal client is. You think you have a person that's your ideal client and they were maybe ideal for that particular point in time. But now that you desire to up level and and raise your rates, you can't raise your rates and serve the same client. You've got to go back to the drawing board again. And so it just, it, it continues, the skill continues to be sharpened every time you go back to work on the message. And then once you have the message, the marketing becomes easier because a big part of getting the message right and clarifying the client is identifying where they are gathering in large enough numbers for you to go there, infiltrate that space and walk away with a lot of interest. And so marketing becomes so much easier, whether we're doing it online or offline, once we are in the minds of our clients and speaking the language that they need to hear to take the actions that they most, we want most want for them to take. Yeah, and I love that that last part that you talked about there where you really nail down who you're talking to because then you can identify like where they are and how to attract them. We went through that as an agency ourselves. When we first started, we just said, hey, we're doing marketing for anybody. And mm-hmm. then it was actually a lot harder to, you know, you're going, well, what do we write about? What do we say we do? And you're right. trying to appeal to everybody. But when you get really, really focused, then like you said, going from messaging to the marketing, the marketing becomes easier because you know exactly who you're talking to, you know what their pains are, their challenges, their desires, all those things. And so, um, yeah, and and as you were talking to like the the idea of simplifying and uh, taking something complex or these like three paragraph mission statements and going, no, 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 like we need need it simple. It reminded me of uh, whoever the guy was that said, hey, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. And so, you know, it it does take time and effort. And you said it's taken you four years to kind of dial that in. And so um, I think that's a good message for everybody is just understanding like you start somewhere, but you continue to work on it and craft it and figure that out. Um, Yeah. And I would also ask Spencer not to make marketing or messaging into this big mountain. It's literally just a conversation. If you take the time, like literally every time I sit down to write a marketing piece, I think about who my intended reader is. I, I go all through all the motions. Like, what would I call her? Like, you know, what's her big challenge right now? What does she really want? And then I literally in writing have a conversation with that person and it makes it so much easier. And it also takes the pressure of marketing off. I mean, I've been in this game for a long time and and even before I was consulting and coaching, I was out speaking and I was a marketing speaker. And so I was all over the place and it doesn't matter the size of the company. Everybody struggles with how do we get more customers, right? How do we get more Mm -hmm. people to, to pay attention to us? And the biggest thing that I've always seen when the light comes on is when you drill down and say, okay, these are our ideal clients and you literally put them in buckets or some people call them client avatars. And you say, okay, for this particular launch, for this particular sequence, we are talking to Alice, right? And you describe Alice and you think about Alice's pain points and why she's frustrated and what's it going to take for her to get to a point of peace. 
can you literally share that with her in a marketing piece? And then all of a sudden, every Alice you know kind of comes to the surface. So it's yeah. it's a really cool process of what can happen when you drill down to that level. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I want to move and talk about talent, but really quickly, do you have a couple of, I guess, action items for people where they're saying, okay, I think I know who my target market is, but how do you drill in a little bit deeper and really uncover some of those pains and get to know, get to know Alice. Hey guys, just a quick announcement before we get to the rest of today's episode. We've been getting a ton of feedback on our done for you social media program. Now, if social media has been a frustration of yours, or you feel like you're not posting enough, this is the perfect solution for you. And as a listener of the podcast, we've got a special promotion going on right now. So just head over to remodelersocialmedia.com and use the code radio at the checkout. So if you want to get more engagement and more people finding you on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, hit pause really quick and check out remodelersocialmedia.com and use the code radio at checkout. All right, back to the show. So I would say the first question is who would they say that they are? Let me repeat that. Who would they say that they are? And the reason why you want to be thinking about it from their vantage point is because you need to use words that when they see them, they'll say, oh, he's talking to me. So who would they say that they are? Second question, what would they say that they're struggling with? Now, I think most people in business have heard the adage, give them what they want, then give them what they need. So you've got to lead with what they know, the problem they are searching for a solution to. Or as I always like to say, people in pain are actively seeking a painkiller. So if your marketing is about pain and the pain that I must be in if I have this problem that you hold the solution to, you're going to get my attention every time. So the second question is, what would they say that they're struggling with? And then the third question is, what do they need in order to stop struggling? There is no they because they don't know what they need because if they knew what they need, they wouldn't be struggling. So this is your opportunity to show your expertise and show them how you can fully support them to get the solution that they are wanting. So who would they say that they are? What would they say that they're struggling with? And then uh, what do they need to stop struggling? And then the bonus question is, where are they gathering in large numbers so I can go and meet them? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, and that one becomes easier and easier the more clarity you have on who it is that you're trying to attract. And yeah. And sometimes you learn by attracting the wrong people first. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, learn by making mistakes for sure. Um, well, let's talk about talent uh, and move to that pillar, talent optimization. Right now in the construction space, uh, it's a big pain point right now. A lot of people are saying we can't find enough talent. Um, you know, we've got so much work coming in the door, but we can't deliver it. So we can't take advantage of the time. Um, so I guess, what, how do you define talent optimization or, you know, describe that pillar? Yeah, so talent optimization is about, first and foremost, finding the right people and then developing those people so that they stay with you instead of going to your competitors. I said it earlier, the only differentiator you have over the next guy who also runs a construction company are the people on your team. And so because it takes so much to find quality people, we have to make sure that we're spending the time and the money to develop them. So continuing education, right? Like we met because of the JLC, right? Mm -hmm. Like sending your people to get some education to be better in their positions, right? Making sure that you get in tune with what your, your team, your employees want and need. If you don't, then you run the risk that as soon as somebody else comes along, because you didn't 
get to know your people and their families and what's important to them, they're going to just run away. So talent optimization is recognizing, listen, I've got some great people here and I want to keep them because if, if I keep them, they learn how to work even smarter than they came through the door knowing how to do so, then it's only going to allow us to be able to increase the, the rate with which we can get things done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Cause I mean, if you're always kind of having to bring in new people and retrain and then they leave and it's just become, I mean, it's oh, really yeah. tough to move forward unless you have amazing training systems, which honestly, let's, if you had those in place, you would be keeping people. So. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, think we also need to, from a talent optimization standpoint, we need to get better at hiring in the first place. I've always heard the adage and believed in it, be slow to hire and fast to fire. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the process of hiring people, do skills assessments. Validate that they have the skills you need for them to have before you put them on your payroll. So during the interview process, make sure that they can, I'm going to say something trivial, make sure that they can hold a hammer and hit the hammer and hit the nail on the wall, right? Like it doesn't matter how simple it might be or how complex it is. Make sure that they can actually do it. When I'm hiring an assistant or somebody in admin, I make sure that they know how to do a PowerPoint presentation because that's something that's important to my work that I want to make sure that can be done and and can be done well and in a timely fashion because time is money. And when we're on these jobs and we say, you know, it's going to be eight weeks to, to complete your renovation, we've got to deliver in eight weeks and we've got to make sure that we have a team that understands the necessity of us being able to do so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's great. And I, I like the, you know, hire slow, fire fast or however you phrased it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was something that we learned too. I mean, our hiring process just is getting extended and extended and extended. It used to be a couple of meetings and now it's like five and, you mm-hmm. know, you meet with everybody. But you recognize that through that process, it's kind of like, um, I guess, figuring out who your target market is, but you're saying, Hey, we're trying to bring on the right people. And we need to ask all these questions, do the skills tests. You know, some, some people do personality profile tests, all those. And that too, personality tests, as well as a skills assessment. Because just because you're pleasant doesn't mean you can do the work. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. So no, I think that's great. And then I guess, um, what would you say like that, that helps bring the right people on, but what are some things people can do, on an ongoing basis, whether that's quarterly, annually, like how do you keep people engaged and and not jumping ship to competitors? Yeah, I would definitely say peer mentoring, right? You should always be pairing a new person up with somebody who's more experienced and rotating them frequently. It is also a great way to create um, cross-education so that you have more people on different job functions in case somebody needs to be out for an extended period of time, especially in a a business in the construction industry, a lot of that work is really specialized. And if it's already hard to find good people, if you can cross train people, then you can kind of have them switching back and forth and pitch hitting. So I would say that that's the, the, probably the first and most important thing. The second thing will be continuing education, right? School is never out for the pro. So making sure that you have a requirement in place where ever so often they have to go and take another course and validate that they actually took that course to continue to improve their skills, especially because codes are always changing. Like when we were building our house at least three times, things changed that <laughs> they were like, oh, well, it's cold now. We have to do this. Yeah. So because it's always changing, you've got to be abreast of it and know how to pinch it when that kind of stuff is coming in. So I would say that that would be the second way. And then the, the third thing that I think is most important to really develop your talent, when they're first hired, 
make sure that you spend quality time getting to know what makes them tick. Mm. Not everybody is motivated by the same things. And so when you understand your people, we literally keep here at our company, we keep a profile on each client. Once you understand what, how to incentivize them and what are the things that make them tick, you can give an incentive that works for them. Like everybody on the team could be working towards the same goal with a different carrot based on what's important to them so that they're all working really, really hard. And if you don't take the time to get to know your people, and I think if there is a delicate line, right, you, you still want to maintain the fact that this is a work environment and not that we're friends and, you know, we can hang out and you can talk crazy to me, but there's a way to do it so that people feel like they're a part of it. Because something else I learned when I was in Mary Kay is that people support what they help to create. And so if you're creating an environment for your team to support, to help you to create what's happening, they will be in it for the long haul. Yeah, I like that. Those are great tips. And, and uh, we're getting, getting towards the end of our time, but I want to make sure we talk a little bit about legacy because you mentioned earlier, um, you know, the, I think the deck company and the, the mm-hmm. two sons are working for the dad and uh, construction, very family business oriented, mm-hmm. you know, stuff gets passed down. Um, I think sometimes the kids want to be involved. Sometimes they don't. And sometimes, you know, as the business owner, we think, Oh, this is just my default plan. Of course, my kids want to take the business and then mm-hmm. they may not. So your plan may be out of luck. So I guess, why is it important to think about, you know, that succession plan, whether it's an exit, a passing down, a selling to somebody you have no idea who they are? Um, you know, why should we be planning for that now when it may be like 20 years down the road? Yeah, well, because, so for two reasons. First and foremost, like what was the point of building this amazing company if you're just going to let it die when you die? So that's the first thing, right? Sure. Because your company, if, if you've done your job well, which I would suspect that you have, you've created jobs in your community, you are probably a core institution in your community whenever they're having you know, nonprofit events and different things like that. Your company is sponsoring. And so you are truly a pillar in your community. You don't want that to just die. And I don't, I don't believe that we're given ideas to create businesses just for the moment. I think that we're giving ideas to create businesses to truly transform our planet. And I know you, maybe it's a little too esoteric because you're like, well, how's me building decks going to change the planet? We're not going to get into that entirely, but through (laughs) legacy, um, what happens is all of the work that you do, the way you shape the planet is because you build a deck. And yeah, to you, it's just a deck. But on that deck, me and my family are going to create memories. And those memories are going to go pass down from generation to generation. And so you're doing the, your part to create and make the world a better place. So that the first thing is just because what was the point if you're just going to let it go? The second reason why I think it's important to establish legacy is because there's always an opportunity for whatever you've created to live on beyond you. And I think that we have a responsibility, or I think you used the word obligation earlier, as people who create businesses and, and, and um, support economic sufficiency in the communities where we live and work every single day, I think we have an obligation to carry that through. And then the third reason is because legacy is really about what you're leaving behind. Um, if you have, if you're married and you have children and your children have children and then your children's children have children, I would hope that every single one of us would like to have something to leave to them. The only way that happens is if we think through the succession, because the one thing we do know is that none of us are going to be here when it's all said and done. <laughs> We're yeah. all going to leave eventually, but what do we want to leave behind us? And so 
sometimes it can seem, you know, morbid or like you said, it's 20 years away. But the fact of the matter is time is moving fast. I mean, Spencer, like it's June 20, whatever. I feel like we just said Happy New Year five minutes ago. Do you feel the same way? Absolutely. Well, my son was born January 15th and it feels like yesterday. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so time is moving whether we create legacy or not. So since it's moving anyway, why not? You've already taken the time to establish this business, to build these systems, to hire these people, to train them and to do great work in your community. Why not take the final step and create something that can live long after you're here? That's what legacy is really all about. Not only for the wealth that it has the potential to be for your immediate family, but what it has to be for your community and then ultimately the world. I think legacy for me is about the win, 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 right? I win because I was in business every single day. You win because you were my client and you got to benefit from everything that I did. And then our community gets to win because we decided to do this work together. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like that. So what are maybe one one or two quick things? Uh, we won't do a super deep dive into legacy, but if somebody's thinking, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'm on board. You know, what are one mm-hmm. or two things that they could do to kind of either, uh, it's a thought experiment or something they could do to start thinking about that or putting something in place so that yeah. they can start going down that path. I would say talk with a financial advisor. That would be probably the first thing. Sure. Um, because that way you'll get an understanding of what your company is worth and what the options are. Because although you could sell it, you could keep it in the family, you know, both of those may work. Neither of those may work. And there may be some other options that are available to you. So, you know, I'm not a financial advisor. I don't play one on television. Um, but I do know that when we're talking about succession and retirement and legacy, that's probably the first place that I would recommend that you start. And in most cases, you can have a consultation with an advisor at little to no expense to you just to kind of see what your options are. So I would say that's probably where you start externally. Internally, I would literally think about if you've never given the thought to what would happen once you're gone, stop and think about it and start to write some thoughts down. Right now, they only need to be thoughts. But to literally spend a few minutes thinking about once I'm gone, what do I want this to be? Do I yeah. even care? Because there's also the, the fact that you could not care. And if you don't care, then you don't have to take it any further. But if you find that you do care, you can begin to have that conversation and set yourself up just like with life insurance, right? Like, I don't think any of us are planning to go outside and get hit by a Mac 10 truck and die, but we all have life insurance, I hope. And so it's the same thing. That's what protecting your assets and creating an environment for those that you love to be supported in the event that something happens. That's what legacy is really all about. Yeah. I like that. And internally, I mean, that can help you get fired up like, Hey, this is what I want to have happen when I'm gone. Um, that can be motivating. And then I think your, your advice is a good one. Like talk to a financial advisor, um, see if you can get your business evaluated. Cause then that tells you a lot too. You might say, Oh wow, I thought my business was worth a lot more. I, I need to take some steps to bump up the valuation or whatever yeah, that, that next step is. So, um, Darnell, this has been awesome. I want to um, ask you a few more questions to wrap up the <laughs> show, but before I get to that, um, if people want to connect with you, learn more about what you're up to, what's the best way to, to find you? Yeah. So you can go to incredibleoneenterprises.com, incredibleoneenterprises.com. The one is spelled out. Okay. And we'll make sure to link that up in the show notes. Um, That's great. Anywhere else or is that the best place? That's the best place. 
Perfect. Uh, easy enough. All right. So this is uh, this is our segment called the Fast Five. Uh, a little bit rapid fire questions. So I'll just mm -hmm. jump right in. Um, what's your favorite business book and why? Okay. So my favorite business book is Profit First, Mike Michalowicz. Uh, it changed my life. <laughs> it totally changed my life. And it and it changed my life just to kind of give context. The whole premise is you know, the definition of profit is you get profit after what's left over, but Mike says, no, you should profit first. And so it changed the way I looked at how I was generating money in my business and what I was doing. Like we became CEOs of our companies in order to have a better lifestyle, but we're paying ourselves last. So because of profit first, I have money to pay my taxes. I pay myself well, I take a profit share. It's pretty cool. I love it. Yes, that one. And we've, uh, we've actually had Sean Van Dyke on the show and he did a profit first version for contractors. So oh, cool. uh, awesome. Yep. and, uh, yep, that's an excellent book. I'm glad you picked that one. All right. <laughs> uh, who's the most inspirational person in your life? Okay. So this person is it, well, you know what I have, can I give two? Okay. So the first I was saying, all right, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom, because my mom, she, you know, she went to jail when I was eight. So I was not raised by my mother. I was raised by my father. Um, but when she got out of jail, like she completely turned her life around. So I'm just honored and amazed to know her because she didn't let any of that stuff stop me. Like one time she said to me, it's going to sound funny, but I was asking her, could she do something that was really, really hard? And she said, I stopped smoking crack. I can do anything. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's just how powerful this woman is. And then the second person is not really in my life. They're like the person who inspires me from afar, but that's Tyler Perry. Okay, cool. This story is like uber inspirational. And every day, every time I have a moment when I want to give up or I think it's not working, I ask myself, what would Tyler do right now? And so that's the second person. Very cool. Very cool. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? Oh, I'd want to read minds. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> a good one. Hands <laughs> down. Like the movie, right? Right, uh, like the movie. Called, like, I yeah. would want to know what people are thinking. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Uh, describe yourself in three words. Uh, powerful, persistent, passionate. Cool. Excellent. And uh, last question, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? Never give up on you. Never I like it. Up. Keep pressing. You know, I think of that poem, don't quit, right? It's sometimes when you feel like your heart is hit, it's in those moments that you must not quit. So don't quit. I love it. That's a, a good way to wrap it up. Well, uh, <laughs> Darnielle, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. See you later. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening to episode 51 with Darnielle Harmon. That was an awesome episode. It was fast paced. We covered a lot and a few action items. I know you guys are on the go. You're at the gym, you're in your car. And so a few things that I pulled out, one was mindset. And I think there's a number of things you could do there, but one, just exposing yourself to new ideas. Reading is great. Um, obviously, listening to podcasts. I know you're listening to this one, but subscribing to other podcasts, uh, audiobooks if you're not a huge reader. But all these things can kind of unlock some new ideas so that you can start to expand your mindset. And I think the other kind of action item that went along with that is really just sitting down and writing out where do you want to go and where do you want to be? Kind of thinking about where your life is today, where your business is today, and then what does it look like five years from now? And then you can start to figure out those little action steps that'll get you there and kind of the how to, so to speak. But if you don't know 
where you want to go, then it's going to be tough to get there. So um, I really like those action items on the mindset piece. And then on the legacy piece, um, really thinking that through as well and just going, hey, I'm in this business, maybe it's been two years, or maybe you've been in it 10 or even 20 years, um, but you've got a certain distance to go, whether that's five or 10 more years or longer. What do you want that to look like? What do you want it to be? Uh, how do you want it to be impacting the community? How do you want it to be impacting your family, your friends, anything like that? Uh, do you want to sell it? Do you want to pass it down? These are all important questions to think about. And then again, same thing with the mindset. Once you've kind of written these things down, then you can start to put the pieces in place. Um, I did like her action item on legacy, which was talking to a financial advisor. You could talk to a business broker, somebody that maybe can evaluate the business. Um, that will give you a good kind of snapshot for where you are. And then again, you'll just be bridging the gap between there and where you want to go. So um, I thought there was a lot of good stuff in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Builder Funnel Radio. I know there are a lot of podcast choices out there, so it really means a lot to me that you choose this as one you either subscribe or listen to regularly. Now, before we part ways for today, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you got some value out of today's episode, please either leave us a review or share this with a friend. We're really working on building a community of construction professionals that wanna treat their customers right, they wanna run profitable businesses, and create more jobs in our economy. So leaving a review or sharing it with a friend really helps us build that community, and we'd really, really appreciate it. All right, guys, that's all I've got for today. So we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.